Hi, uh, welcome to the new voting project. My name is Kanal, and today we are very excited to have Maxwell Frost on the show. He is a candidate for Congress uh, who is running in Florida. He has been an ACLU organizer and he's been an organizer with March for Our Lives. He's connected with the progressive community um, and, and we're very, very happy. I'm very elated to get you on the show. I love, you know, I love to talk to candidates. So thank you so much for devoting, devoting your precious time um, in these crucial months. 100%. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for having this show. Yeah. And, uh, it's my way to give back. I can't be a candidate. I can't even vote yet. So this is this is all I can do, really. Uh, <laughs> but let's get into these questions. Um, just for our viewers, you know, talk a little bit about your background, how you got into voting rights, I guess, gun rights, um, and, and that that scenario, and then touch on how um, it's all prepared you for this, this, you know, ginormous task of running for Congress. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, I, I in, you know, in organizing, we have something that's called our call to action, right? A call to action is a moment or series of events that act as like an opportunity to get involved in something. And so I actually have the, I have a very specific call to action. It happened when I was 15 years old. Um, I was at my I went to arts high school and middle school and before every jazz band concert we'd go and eat some you know junk food at Fridays or Chili's or Tuesday or whatever it was and I remember we were eating before the show and I looked up and I saw that what was going on in Sandy Hook um, in Newtown Connecticut that's when I walked into a school and murdered um, kids teachers um, administrators and just seeing that completely jarred me right it jarred everybody who saw it um, but I went to the concert that night and I couldn't perform as well, right? Like I couldn't play right. I wasn't thinking right. That week, all I could think of was the pictures of the kids walking out of the school with their hands in the air. These little ch like children, um, four to 10 years old, um, with the cops with AR-15s walking them out. And I begged my parents to let me go to the memorial that was happening in Washington, D.C. And they let me go. And so I just mowed some lawns or babysitting or whatever I did to raise the money to get a plane ticket and went up. But it was a very specific night. I spent about three days with the families lobbying, um, doing a ton of work on the Hill. Um, and I remember after the vigil, I was sitting in a like Virginia hotel. Um, usually the, the, the pools are underground because um, it gets so cold. So it was like one of these basement pools. And it was all the teenagers. We were just sitting around the pool with our feet in the water. I remember it was super cold. And across from me was a guy named Matthew Soto. His sister is Vicky Soto, the teacher that hid kids in cabinets when she heard that there was a shooting. And when the shooter came around and asked where the kids were, she refused to tell him and he murdered her. He killed her right there. And Matthew was talking about his sister, how much he missed her, um, you know, what they used to talk about and uh, just seeing him crying and just seeing a 16 year old speak with the demeanor of a 60 year old because his sister was slain in a mass shooting when she was teaching at an elementary school, just completely changed my life. Literally that night, I went back to my hotel room. It was like 1 a.m. I called my mom, I was crying. And I that's when I dedicated my life to fighting for a world where no one has to feel the way Matthew felt that night. Um, and then obviously, you know how it goes, right? You get into you get into advocacy, you get into movement work, and you start learning about different things, right? Gun violence prevention is what got me into this fight. But there's a bunch of things that have kept me in it, a ton of different new calls of action that have um, that kind of helped me learn about 
the totality of all the issues going on. So then you learn about things like criminal justice reform, right? You learn about voting rights. You learn about healthcare. You learn about economic justice. You learn about the climate crisis, right? You just learn about- yeah, I, think, I think we should stop there or else the video might get too long. Right? You just yeah. learn all of, like all, all this stuff going on, all these different forms of oppression, all these problems. And then you learn that they're all connected, very directly connected to one another. And voting rights are one of the issues. I, I say it's the, it, one of the issues to end all issues. I think there's a few of them. Voting rights campaign, finance reform, um, the climate crisis. And these are issues that fundamentally put us in a better place to handle all the other issues. And so it- this is this is music to my ears. You know, I, I tell people um, and I wow, 15 years old. Shit, I didn't I didn't become activated. I was activated post uh 2016 Trump, you know, a lot of folks were my age. We started paying attention. We we learned what the news was, you know. Uh, it wasn't about that that middle school drama anymore. It was about high stakes Trumpism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, wow, that's damn. No, I I mean I do remember we have standard procedures now to to handle you know shooters on campus at my school specifically. Um, there's just a phrase that's just going to be said over the loudspeaker, a very generic phrase like uh, please park your car or something like that. And everybody goes into lockdown. That's the kind of situation we're in now, I guess, since since 2015, Sandy Hook. But uh, when it comes to voting rights, I'd have to agree with you. It, it is the the fundamental issue that relates to all other issues, which makes it a very interesting and significant issue to target. Um, yeah, no, no, no disagreements here. That's pretty good stuff. No, you should run for Congress. Oh, wait, you are. Oh, my bad. Um, and, and I guess my next question off of that is, you know, you're an organizer, you're a movement builder, you like to build coalitions, right? Why enter the political sphere? Like you said, you spend a lot of your time in advocacy, but there's a lot of way to impact policy, advocacy, running for office. You could, you know, work on the Hill. You, you've seen that side, but why run for office? What, what, you know, power, what influence does that give you as a person who's seen it and, and tried to fix it? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I think when I think about that question, this is something I thought a lot about when I was just, you know, pondering on whether or not I wanted to do this or not, was just thinking about, uh, thinking back to my interactions with legislators, right, and elected officials. I've been lobbying since I was 15 years old, right? Like that time I went to Sandy Hook, that was my first experience lobbying. Um, I ended up going to the Florida State Legislature, like, multiple times in a month during high school to go lobby for safer gun laws. And what you recognize is the fact that there is um, no sincerity, right? There's no honesty. And there's a culture, a very toxic culture set up um, where it makes people like you and I feel lucky when we get baby steps, right? When something little happens, it is the luckiest thing in the world. We feel so good, right? It's a huge celebration, which we should celebrate every single one of our wins. But that's what we're conditioned to believe, right? Like when I was young, that's what I was conditioned to We got a meeting with Marco Rubio? Yes, right? Like, got the meeting, right? We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be that ecstatic about getting a meeting with someone who's meant to represent us, especially when we're talking about an issue that kills 100 people a day. 
It worked again. This is how the system is meant to be. We're meant to get very excited and feel lucky when we're given the bare minimum. And so the, one of the reasons I'm running is to tell folks that is to push back against that system. That when we see people like, for instance, we have a legislator here named Anas Kamani, who's a fantastic state legislator who goes above and beyond to provide constituent services. She's in the streets with the unions and the racial justice issues. She's doing great work. And the one thing you'll hear from people all across Central Florida is they're always like, I wish Anna represented me. I wish I had someone like that representing me. And again, the reason I'm running is to tell folks, you deserve someone like that representing you, right? It should not be the exception um, that, you know, there are folks out there who are willing to make themselves uncomfortable to make you comfortable. That should be the rule. Um, especially in a place, uh, you know, that is the richest country on the face of the earth. And so what I believe is this, we have to fundamentally change what it means to be a politician. You know how it is. You say the word politician to anyone and they cringe, right? It's like a bad word. Like, it's like, you, know, you want to be a politician? I hate politicians. You think politician, what do you think about? Corruption, handcuffs, jail, <laughs> you know, you think about the worst things. Right. Um, but if you really think deeply about that, that is one of the saddest things in the world because we're talking about the people meant to represent our best interests. And the first thing we think of is corruption, right? Is our, our bad things. And so this is something we need to change, right? We need to, we deserve to live in a country where we think of our representatives, we think of politicians and we're happy, right? We're joyful, we're prideful because one of our own is fighting with us in DC and in the community to get us to what we need. And that's what every single American and every single person in this country deserves. And that's why I'm running. And so obviously, right, there is a, a, an amount of power that comes with being in the Capitol, right? Fighting for specific legislation, fighting against legislation, co-sponsoring legislation, working to whip votes, right? There's working within the system. But outside of that, there's a whole other uh, a form of representation that a lot of folks are lacking. And that's what do you do in the community? How are you showing up in the community? Are you showing up to the pickets with your unions, right? Are you showing up to march with folks who are marching against abortion bans and for abortion access? Are you going to city council meetings, town hall meetings, uh, going to the state legislature as a member of Congress, using your political capital to help your constituents fight state and local battles? These are things that are considered taboo to a lot of members of Congress to interfere with like, you know, a city council or anything like that. But again, we need folks who are fearless in who are going to go above and beyond what we're used to and what are we used to our members of congress doing a town hall every now and then if that casting votes and maybe every once in a while they give a passionate speech on the hill and it makes it into a now this video or something that's pretty much like you're a member of congress right and constituent services and so part of this campaign is saying we demand more of our representatives and you know this is a kind of like a part of that long the part of this tradition of folks running for office who are going to be a part of that vanguard of people who give more to their constituents. Yeah. You know, that, that whole unspoken toxic culture thing, that's so real. I remember, you know, because at this point, you know, you talk to everybody, you kind of lose sight of what the titles mean and more what you can get done. You know what I mean? So I, at one point it was like, oh, my mayor responded to me. Oh, you know, my board of supervisor responded to me. Oh, my congressman is, is having an event here. Let's go. You know, and, and now that you've reached a certain, like I'm sure you have it in Central Florida, you've reached a certain level where you're like, 
we're still not accomplishing what, what we need to. Folks are still in these streets. You know, labor unions are not being represented. Women's reproductive rights are being assaulted. Our voting rights are being killed in most states across the country. But it, it doesn't mean much unless it translates into something, right? Um, so, so no, I, I, I definitely, but it, nobody talks about that. I, you know, that's that, very weird you bring it up. Yeah, and, and we have to look at this, you know, again, right? I come from movement building world and like, most of what I read because I'm a nerd is like movement book, <laughs> you know, about how folks have organized over the, the course of our humanity. And we have to see this as part of a grand, like a, a huge timeline of progress and, you know, collective organizing for justice and equity for every single person in the world. And so my candidacy is, is, a, is a part of that tradition, right? And so is the work you're doing. So is the work that, you know, Sunrise Movement's doing, every union is doing. It's part of that tradition of excellence, tradition of fighting for the most vulnerable people. And so when you look at it that way, you also recognize that electing the first member of Generation Z um, to Congress in Florida, which is a state that a lot of people count out. You know, a lot of folks count us out. I'm not counting. I'm not counting you out. Trust I me. You are, right? You better not. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> counting Florida out. Trust me. Yeah, even though we're a state that some of the most progressive movements have come from here, Dream Defenders, March for Our Lives. Um, but either way, um, you know, get, getting these wins are part of expanding that tradition and inspiring folks to be a part of it. And will hopefully result in more people stepping up and saying, you know what? We should expect this from our legislators, and I'm not going to support anyone that you know that doesn't. Right. Well. Well. Let me let me circle back. Uh, let's talk last year, 2020. Right. It, you know, like like you said, what what do you conjure up when you hear the word politician? I want to know what you conjure up when I when I say the year 2020. You know, extremely tumultuous pandemic, once in a century. You know top to bottom on ballot initiatives and measures and candidates and presidential run and Georgia runoff. Tell me what was going through your head. Tell me what you thought of the electoral process, the, the voter voting fraud, I guess, fake news, whatever you want to call it. Trumpism, I guess, is the term we're using nowadays. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the year 2020, the 2020 elections? Well, what a question. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Gets everybody. Yeah. Well, at the time, I was working as the National Organizing Director at March for Our Lives, uh, and we were focused on, I, I was focused on two things. Number one, in my capacity at March, we worked with a coalition of groups, so it was Sunrise, United We Dream, and the Dream Defenders, okay. and our was, let's Let's make it so we have the highest youth voter turnout in the history of our country. That's, that's all we were focused on. So literally, all 2020 was me sitting in virtual Zoom rooms with you know, organizers and kind of young operatives from across the country and figure out how do we craft a plan that puts us in a position where we can strategically pinpoint young folks who are more than likely or more likely go vote and people who are teetering on the edge. And how do we craft a message that's going to inspire them to go vote? Because if we're honest with ourselves, right, the candidate that the, you know, the Democratic Party had, had elected um, with the nomination, um, President Biden wasn't necessarily the most popular person amongst young folks, right? You know, it's just something we knew. So what we were saying is, how can we energize folks to go vote for someone that they're not necessarily energized about, right? And so we crafted a message that um, focused on values, 
um, and also focused on a future, on like building a future with folks. So we did a lot of deep canvassing, which is where you, you know, engage in longer conversations with folks. And the essence of our scripts were speaking with people about the world they want to live in and building that with them over the phone or over text or over events. Then after we built that world, talking exactly how their vote in this election puts us a step closer to it. And that's really it. That's what we did. There's a lot of folks who engage in a lot of shaming of young people, right? Go, if you don't vote, you want Trump. If you don't vote, you, you hate you hate people or, or whatever. And I don't know about you, but being guilted in this stuff does not push me to do anything. And this is the difference between mobilizing voters and educating voters. You mobilize someone to go vote, you knock on the door, you say, go vote for Maxwell Frost. We'll see you in two years. Okay, but when you educate someone to vote, when you engage in meaningful conversation with them and you inspire conviction in them, that changes their life forever. Not only will they go vote, but they're going to ask you what the next thing is. And that's what it's about. It's getting people to a place where they're always going to ask, what's next? What's next in this fight? And so either way, that's really what I was focusing on last year is figuring out how can we get young folks to go vote and then ask what's next? Because what happened is we had the highest youth voting turnout in the history of our country. I'm not saying I just did that. A bunch of <laughs> 55% of young people went and voted last this past cycle. And then we had tens of thousands of them hit us back up and say, what's next? And then we had eyes on Georgia. And we were able to get out millions and millions of calls and texts amongst all of our organizations to get young folks voting in Georgia as well. So that's really what I'm always thinking about is how can we get people to do what we need them to do, but then ask what's next? Because there's a lot that needs to be done. Yeah, I like that strategy. One thing I always tell when when I went out canvassing, God, it's been a quick minute, um, uh, but it's tell them your story. You know, the story similar to that call to action, it's what is inspiring you can can help inspire somebody else and and that story because everybody knows the you know medicare for all we're fighting for climate change we we all know the buzzwords that that'll that'll get people to listen but if you want somebody's real genuine curiosity and attention i always tell them it's better you tell them where you're coming from so that they can spread that um and i and i think you know we were quite successful in 2020 um, in terms of getting President Joe Biden elected and the two senators from Georgia. Uh, but it's not over yet because I'm worried about the 2022 midterms. And I'm also worried about your election. So <laughs> uh, there's, there's still plenty to be done. I'm worried. We're going to win this. Exactly. I'm, I'm worried about a lot of things, including yeah. high school. Uh, but and we'll talk about that another time. Yeah, and there's a lot to be worried about, right? I mean, thinking about everything going on in this in this country right now, um, especially as a young person in this country, the crushing debt that our peers and that, you know, uh, you know, just our, our generation, you know, that we're experiencing the fact that people are saying it's because we live beyond our means, but we know it's not because we live beyond our means. It's because we've been denied the means to live. Um, there's a lot going on, a lot to be worried about, but something I've always told my organizers and that I always try to keep to ground myself in this fight is, it's okay to have that righteous anger because there's a lot to be pissed off about. But the important thing is that we kind of transform that anger into a righteous love, right? Like a radical love that just permeates so deep into like our soul that it fortifies us for the fight ahead. Right. And these aren't just like platitudes, right? It's really about the way we think about all of these issues. Cause if we're always going into it, pissed, mad, worried about the next thing, we're gonna we're we're operating on a short clock. 
where it's not going to give us the stamina we need to be a long distance runner for justice um, because we're not wired to hate for that long, right? Hating takes a lot of energy out of us <laughs> as human beings, but loving is a lot different. When you love someone, you want them to have clean water. You want them to have health care. You want them to have everything they need in life to live their best lives with their family and the people that they love. So this is always something I'm constantly thinking about no matter how mad I get. I mean, and this is something I thought, you know, last summer out on the protest, I, I was beat, maced, jailed, thrown into a, to a like a, what they call a timeout unit with four other people with no masks in the height of COVID. And I had that time to reflect on the love I had for the other people in the cells next to me. And that's what gave me the, you know, the fortification I needed to get up the next morning, go, go get some breakfast at IHOP and then go right back to protesting. Um, it's, that's something I'm always trying to tell folks. And it's not, you know, it's not no hype preach or anything like that. This is like the tradition of the people I come from who have been oppressed for over 400 years yet have taught the world so much about love. And I'm talking about black folks. And so this is something I'm always trying to like fortify myself in because I'm lucky to come from a tradition of folks who have been doing this for a long time. Shame. I like high hop too. Um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> uh, I do want to close off with this question, though, because um, you are on a campaign. <laughs> what is your advice? You mentioned Gen Z, right? I was going to say, I don't know where they got Z from. Still the most ambiguous kind of phrase, Gen Z, sure. Um, what is your advice? What do you recommend for, for this generation? How do, you know, there are some folks that, that are like me, you know, they're extremely, you know, into it, want to help. There's some folks who are ignorant. There's some folks who want to be educated, don't have time. What do you say to all of us um, that are just waiting and, and we're the next graduating class of, of voters? Definitely. Well, what I'll say is this. I think, I think there's a lot of pressure on our generation and on folks to get up and do things. And I think it can be easy for someone to see like someone, you know, another Gen Z running for Congress or being an organizer or leading protests and they, it's easy to feel bad about yourself. Um, and what I would tell like every other young person out there is that I truly believe that we have to use every, you know, every tool at our disposal to fight for justice for everybody. And that doesn't always mean in politics, right? It doesn't mean you have to run for office. It doesn't mean you need to be leading protests. I'm a strong believer that we need to vote. We need to get good people in office. We need to be out in the streets um, because we need to sometimes shake our communities and say, this is happening here. People are here. And then also I believe in culture change. And all of that, in order for us to do this, man, we have to like, penetrate this message of love and justice into every facet of society. Imagine every single manager of every single fast food restaurant had this mindset of thinking about the most vulnerable people. Think about if every CEO had that same mindset, if every musician, if every, every single person, right? And so this why like movements like Black Lives Matter and like the uprisings that just happened in March for our lives are so important. It helps us engage in the immediate mass education of millions of people across the country who now think about the world a little differently. And so for me, what I would say to like young folks and just people in my generation is like, please don't just don't get discouraged and feel like you're not doing enough or you're not doing anything. There's something for us all to do. If you're a musician, take that art, take what makes you special and use it to spread love and use it to advocate for the most vulnerable people. And it's going to look different every time. You don't have to run for Congress, right? You don't have to go out and be leading protests. 
there's a lot of different things to do. And I think just figuring out, you know, what makes you unique um, and taking that and going out and doing it is the best thing. You know, there's um, Osceola McCarty said, um, if you want to be proud of yourself, you've got to do things worth being proud of. And so I think it's ultimately thinking about how, how do I want to contribute and it's always ensuring that you're thinking about the most at risk in every decision you make. And that's how we're going to have a better world. Sure. I think. Amen to that. I think too. Uh, so you got, you got two on that. Um, no, no, that's very sound advice. And, and of course I'd like to, to, to close it off there and say, thank you so much for, for taking the time to answer these questions. You know, uh, always here to support. Um, and you're always welcome back on the show. If you make it into Congress, you better call me like, 15th, you know? When, when in the Congress, we'll do another interview. Exactly. No, no, no. Then we'll talk about real policy changes. We'll talk about passing, you know, the John Lewis Act. We'll talk about how to actually reform voting rights exactly. in this country. Um, but until then, you have our support. You have my blessing. Uh, not that you needed it. Um, but but we do wish you the best of luck. So now that we have your blessing, we can win. Of course, of course. That's uh, it's like the Midas touch. I, I gotta give it, you know, to, to the brothers out there. Uh, but no, well, I do appreciate your time, and 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 I wish you the best of luck, man. All right. Well, thank you so much. You have a great day. Of course, you too.